0: Greetings film pals, I bid you welcome to The Cinematic Crypt, a movie podcast hosted by Movie John's Old Sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, me. Each episode I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film, From the Grave. Before we descend into the crypt, I will begin with reading my obituary, a notice of what I have been up to since we last spent time together. I have just finished the wonderful and spooky novel, Dracula, by Brahm Stoker.
1: I am Dracula.
2: Oh, it's... It's really good to see you. I don't know what happened to the driver and my luggage and... Well, and with all this, I... I thought I was in the wrong place.
1: I bid you welcome.
3: Listen to them, children of the night, what music they make.
0: Goblins and ghouls, I highly recommend that if you have not read this spine-tingling book that you grab a copy. What a most perfect time to read the tale of everyone's favorite vampire just as the fall season is upon us. Which reminds me, how are your Halloween plans coming along? I have had some late night brainstorming sessions myself in my lab, and will soon be sharing some of my eerily fantastical plans with you soon, including my movie watch list for the most spooktacular Halloween night.
2: The night before Halloween And all through my house Not a monster was stirring Not even a mouse Igor was snuggled All safe in his bed He lay there so still You'd think he was dead The bats were all hung around the chimney with care Hanging there Planning which people to scare And racked in his coffin nigh, my lad creating a monster still warm on his slab. When all of a sudden I heard such a clatter, I ran from my lab to see what was the matter. I ran to the chamber, quick as a flash. There were my monsters doing
3: the mash. Everybody mash! And now, our feature presentation.
0: To grab your cape and get comfortable with a cocktail. It is time for our regularly scheduled spooky program. Follow me, but watch your step as you descend down to the cinematic crypt. You may recall that when we last descended into the crypt, I dissected the 1941 noir flick, I Wake Up Screaming, and initially intended to feature the cadaver of Carol Landis. However, upon viewing the movie, I realized it was more of a Betty Grable show, so I swapped corpses. Carol has been so excited for the opportunity to stretch her legs and take a break from coffin life that I could not disappoint her. So in today's episode, I will be prying open her coffin to dissect and examine the 1940 Hal Roach comedy film, Turnabout. Tim and Sally Willows are a wealthy couple living in a downtown, lavish city apartment. Tim, played by John Hubbard, who frankly, I'm not too familiar with my fellow crypt dwellers. My understanding is he was a regular on such shows as the Mickey Rooney Show and Bonanza. So let's just say I probably won't be digging up his corpse anytime soon, moi. Sally Willows, on the other hand, is played by our corpse of interest, Carol Landis. Despite the couple seemingly having it all, it does not keep them from incessantly bickering, in particular, about Tim's dog.
1: Read
2: that back to me, Bannister. What's up, dear?
1: Now listen to me, Tim Willows. The situation with this dog of yours has gone entirely too far. He goes to a kennel tomorrow, or I go. No, you no, you wouldn't have much fun in plan. a
0: kennel. Oh, Mr. Willows is the top man at the advertising company he owns, Manning, Willows, and Claire. As the movie refers to him, he's a real dynamo. He is responsible for keeping the ship on course, while Sally is a housewife who ensures their home is in tip-top shape, that cocktail soirees go off without a hitch, and she spends time with his fellow co-owners' wives. Well, here
1: we are again, girls. The wives of Willow, Manning, and Claire, (laughs) out to spend the boys' money. The easy way they have of making it. I don't think they should worry. Oh, I don't know. Joel's been working pretty hard lately. Not Not Joel! Joel. Yes.
0: (laughs) Sally, darling, I hope I'm not taking. Of course. They each think the other has it easier. Tim, thinking Sally, is just at home lying around with her feet up, while he is off hunkered down at his desk all day in the office. Sally believes that Tim avoids all the stresses that one experiences keeping a home in working order, especially with his pesky dog getting in the way. In fact, the dog is more like a horse. I believe it's a Great Dane, and although it's awfully cute, it seems to be quite a handful, causing a contention between Sally and Tim. Sally repeatedly requests that the dog be taken off to the kennel, It is only logical to help mend the relationship between Sally and the dog is why to get another dog, of course, an idea placed in Tim's head by his secretary. He has the new girl in the office accompany him to the pet store to pick out the perfect pooch for Sally. Okay, but you can
2: buy a silver fox for that. You can't pet a silver fox. (laughs) No, and you can't wear that either. Thank you. I'll make out your sales slip.
1: (laughs) Sally, dear, um, have you any relatives from the South? Why, no. What? Oh, nothing. Irene saw Tim in the pet shop. He was buying a dog. A dog? Yes, a dog. And there was this cute little blonde with a southern accent. He seemed to be buying the dog for her. (laughs) That's why I thought perhaps... Nonsense. It's probably just one of the girls in the office helping him select a pet for me. I love dogs.
0: Unfortunately, his plan doesn't go that smoothly, for he is spotted by one of his coworkers' wives in the pet shop with the blonde secretary from the office, which, of course, unravels into lurid gossip that makes its way back to Sally. On top of this, he doesn't exactly bring home a pup. Instead, it is a bear cub.
1: Tim Willows, come here.
2: For the 25th time, I tell you, I don't understand how it happened.
1: And for the 26th time, I say, find the blonde and you'll find the Pekingese. The
2: blonde, the blonde. I tell you, it was a girl from the office. I bought a peak.
1: Certainly you did for a blonde. And what do I get? I'm only your wife. I get a bear. Will you stop doing nip-ups while I'm talking to you? Oh, a madhouse. That's what this is. Dogs, bears, and a a husband that makes a noise like a vacuum cleaner. Oh, what did I ever do to deserve all this? I never beat my mother. That's just because she could run faster than you. Now, listen to me, Tim Willows. Just because I was a showgirl before you married me... ...is no reason to think that I haven't developed... ...some finer sensibilities of my own. (sighs) And of all the unpleasant objects to stare at... ...the last thing at night and the first thing in the morning. Who, me? No, not you, as if that isn't bad enough. But I have to have that ridiculous relic leering at me... ...and right in my own bedroom.
0: This incident causes the couple to engage in yet another quarrel, this time arguing in front of a particular statue of sorts that was gifted to the couple from a distant relation of Tim's. The couple calls the statue Mr. Ram. During the course of the argument, they each take digs at one another, each expressing their doubt that their life is really that bad. Tim insinuates that Sally is simply a lazy legs, while Sally doesn't find his talk of the physical and mental pressures he has from the office serious. While standing in front of the statue, they wish to switch places, to feel what it is truly like to be in the other person's shoes.
2: Remember when Uncle Remer sent him to us from India? He said he had a strange power that could grant us any wish we both agreed upon.
1: Well, that's safe enough, I must admit. As long as I'm under the same roof with you, Tim Willows, I don't think we'll ever agree on anything.
2: How can we, as long as you've got all the best of the bargain?
1: Oh, so I have the best of it, eh? Well, I'd like to be in your shoes for a while. You could fill them, all right. You didn't say that before we were married.
2: I didn't get a good look until it was too late.
1: Oh, be quiet.
2: You be quiet.
1: Say, that isn't a bad idea. What? ...changing places. I wouldn't mind getting up in the morning and leaving this apartment.
2: Oh, and wouldn't I love to lie right here in bed until
1: noon. No more household problems. Planning meals and hiring servants.
2: Nothing to do but play bridge all day. I bet I could even fix that aerial.
1: I could try my hand at business. Feminine Angle might be good in advertising.
2: Cozy little luncheons on the terrace. I think the whole idea is swell.
0: So do I. Suddenly, Mr. Ram, the statue, speaks.
2: Are you sure you want to change places? Why? Yes, I'd like it.
1: I'd like it. I know I would.
2: Well... That's good enough for me. Now you're on your own. And don't forget, you asked for it.
0: And with a poof of smoke, their wish is granted. It is at this point when Turnabout really spins into a wild direction. Upon waking up the next morning, the couple find that they have switched places, Now, what I absolutely love about this switcheroo story is that unlike in other pictures of this sort that I've seen, it represents their switch by having their voices utilized in the other person's body. Therefore, John Hubbard's voice is now coming out of Carol Landis's mouth, and Carol Landis's voice is coming out of John Hubbard. It's rather entertaining. Chaos of Corpse ensues as Sally prepares to head to the office and Tim learns that he will be entertaining the co-workers' wives for a lunch later in the day. The two actors completely shine at this point, as they manage to really convey the different mannerisms of their counterpart so well. This causes, of course, much confusion at the office and for their live-in housekeepers.
1: I suppose that was your idea of a very funny entrance but you only succeeded in making everyone think you're a little crazy. What's the matter with you, anyway? Why, Miss Bannister, I don't know what you mean. Well, your voice, for one thing. Oh, that. Well, I caught cold. <coughs> it settled in my throat. Laryngitis. <coughs> what about your wife's handbag?
2: Yeah, the handbag.
1: Oh, that. Well, love, she asked me to get it fixed. It keeps coming open all the time. Lock is broken, I guess. Terrible nuisance.
0: The two of them manage to cause quite the ruckus. Tim causing a riff with the advertising wives, and Sally ends up being rude to the firm's biggest client, a pineapple juice company, after she questions the ethics of the firm's business practices. Which I will argue for Sally here. She really didn't do anything wrong. The advertising company was being a bit shady, but... She also did manage to win over another client that her husband failed to do so before. So it all seems Sally is having a more successful switcheroo.
3: Oh, where's Ms. Willows, Henry?
2: She's on the terrace. And in fact, I
1: may say so, she doesn't seem to be quite herself today. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like our Sally. One thing I always say about Sally Willows, you never know what in the world she's going to do next. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, where
2: is Mrs. Willows? There she is.
1: Hiya, girls! Sally Willows, you come right down from there. Be
2: right with you.
0: Tim does manage to learn a few tips of the trade, so to speak, of a housewife, though, when he discovers through conversation with the fellow advertising wives how they sneak money from their husbands. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is when Sally is entertaining the colleagues at their home, and she lifts up her dress to reveal that she is wearing trousers. Tim, as Sally, is so casual to remark when this is noticed.
1: Sally, what, are we, what, what in the world are you wearing? <laughs> Haven't you heard? Latest
2: well, I... thing from Paris. Everybody's wearing them.
1: You know, you're getting to be a little impossible.
2: If you would worry less about me and more about you, you'd be better off. Complaining about Phil not giving you any attention. If you'd stop going to bed at night with your chin strap and cold cream and curlers, he might take a little interest in you.
1: Sally Willis, I don't know what's gotten into you, but I'm not going to stay here and be insulted. Neither am I. I never want to talk to you again. Oh,
2: come on, girls. Don't get on your high horse.
1: I don't have to take that
3: from anybody. She must be out of her mind.
2: Oh, let's talk this thing over, girls.
0: The real shock for Tim comes, though, when the doctor stops by and he learns that Sally is going to have a baby, which essentially ends up being the nail in the coffin, so to speak, for the reason the couple want to switch back. When Sally returns home, they both recount the horrors of their day and decide that they need to return to their regular bodies at whatever cost. They plead to Mr. Ram.
2: Look, Mr. Ram, can we talk to you for a minute? It's awfully important. I don't see why not. What's on your mind? Well, first of all, I want to tell you that neither of us blame you in the least for what you did to us. It must have been a terrible experience to catch all the jangling and arguing that went on in this room, but now we've learned our lesson. We aren't ever going to fight anymore.
0: Honest, we aren't. And with another poof, they are back, just in time to clean up the mess that each one created. Sally invites the co-workers and their wives over for dinner, along with the client that she met with earlier that didn't go so well due to the previous shenanigans. Everything goes swimmingly, except for one thing, and well, goblins and ghouls, I'm not going to reveal that, cause I think you should find out for yourself. Moi. Something rather fascinating to note, fellow crypt dwellers, is that Turnabout was the first representation of gender swapping in film. Based on a 1931 book with the same title by Thorne Smith, the film turnabout would cause much eyebrow-raising from the Production Code Administration, especially due to the film's ending. The director of the Production Code Administration, Joseph Breen, called the plot twist obscene. The script also created quite the casting challenge to find someone to play the role of Tim Willows. As for Carol, her life and film career was short. Born January 1st, 1919 in Fairchild, Wisconsin as Frances, Lillian Mary Ritz was the youngest of five children. It was in 1923 when Carol and her family moved to San Bernardino, California. And at the age of 15, Carol decided to drop out of high school to pursue a career in show business. After saving a mere $100, she would bleach her hair blonde, change her name to Carol Landis. Carol, after her favorite actress, Carol Lombard, and she would move to Hollywood. She would later be nicknamed the Blonde Bomber. She would go on to make her film debut in the 1937 picture, A Star Is Born. The 1940s was a time that brought her much success as she often found herself scoring strong supporting roles. Over the course of her life, Landis would marry four times. However, it was her final relationship with former crypt corpse, Rex Harrison, that would cause her the most despair. Landis was saddened that Harrison would not divorce his then-wife, Lily Palmer, to be with her. This caused Landis to fall into deep despair and, inevitably, cause her to make the choice to take her own life, by overdose of secanol, a medicine prescribed for insomnia. She would die on July 5th, 1948, at the age of 29 years old. It is reported that Rex was the last person to see Landis alive after having dinner with her the night she decided to commit suicide. He discovered Carol along with her maid the next afternoon on the bathroom floor, along with two notes, one for her mother and one for Rex, which was instructed to be destroyed. Harrison would go on to deny knowing of any motive for her suicide, and he would also neglect to share the note. He would also go on to downplay the relationship to many after her death. Carol was taken far too soon, but her spirit lives on amongst the 59 film credits she managed to rack up, and I encourage you to seek out the films of hers. A personal favorite of mine, which I may even feature on A Crypt of the Future, is the 1941 flick, The Topper Returns. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested in checking out this flick, It is available for free on archive.org. I also was able to find a copy on DVD, which comes with another three comedy hell roach flicks, so check it out. I will post a link on the Cinematic Crypt page. Just visit moviejohn.com and click on Cinematic Crypt under MJ Pods. In my next episode... I will pry open the coffin of Sid Caesar to dissect and examine the 1967 William Castle picture, The Spirit is Willing. I will once again be joined by my fellow classic coroner, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, and together we will take a trip to the morgue to autopsy the character corpse, Mary Wicks. Hope you tune in.
3: Papa wants a vacation. Mama wants a vacation. Their teenage son wants a vacation. And so the whole darn family takes off for Cape Cod for what they hope will be a real holiday. But the kind of holiday they get, they need like a hole in the head. Starring Sid Caesar. It's the first picture to face the two biggest questions of our time. The sex life of ghosts and how to have a happy vacation when ghosts are breaking up the joint all around.
0: Until then, please make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and give us a rating and review to help other goblins and ghouls find the show. If it is a kind review, I may even read it on air. So take note, goblins and ghouls. A raving review may keep you from finding an early grave. Mwah. So log into iTunes and leave your own review. Or send me an email. Don't be a stranger. I want to know what you think. Drop your favorite little gravedigger a line at cinematiccrypt at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at cinematiccrypt. Don't forget to visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe to the print movie zine that I create quarterly with my film pals. Our current issue features writing and artwork of circus, carnival, and state fair flicks, and it's going fast. So step right up and witness this spectacular publication available for home delivery at moviejohn.com shop. Shout out to my Canadian film pal and fellow classic coroner, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, for providing and creating a lot of the tunes you hear on this program. Also, thanks to fellow movie genre, the Hollywood hunk, Hugo Marmugi, for the Rad Cinematic Crypt logo. If you can't get enough of my soothing voice, make sure to check out I Saw It in a Movie, a weekly advice podcast that goes to the cinema for the answer that I co-host with Ryan Silberstein. This weekly podcast features a rotation of movie John pals to serve as experts to answer all of your burning questions. No question is too silly. Maybe you are wondering where to start in silent film watching, or what to do with that creepy doll that is hiding out in your attic. Ask away by contacting us on Twitter at I Saw in a Movie, email at dear I Saw in a Movie at gmail.com. Or if you're old fashioned, like your favorite little grave digger, you can contact us via snail mail at Attention Movie John, M O V I E J A W N, P O Box 20172, Philadelphia, P A 19145. All of this information is available on our website as well moviejohn.com under mj podcasts can't wait to hear from you old sport and remember for every question there is a movie with the answer a new episode is available every Monday we
1: thought that love was over That we were really through I said I didn't love him That we'd begin anew And you can all believe me We sure intended to But we just couldn't say goodbye The chair and then the sofa Broke right down and cried The curtain started waving For him to come inside I tell you confidentially The tears were hard to hide And we just couldn't say
0: It is now time to close the coffin. Here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph, my tombstone quote, compliments of Tim Willow's advertising partner, Phil Manning. Cold feet? Is that all you're worried about? No need to fret, my fellow crypt dwellers, for a coffin is quite comfortable. Just don't forget your blankie. You don't want to experience any night chills. Bye, film pals
2: he feels a little chill can I bring him this blanket sure alright
3: I'll just sit here and be quiet, just in case they do suspect me. They're probably watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even gonna swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see, and they'll know, and they'll say, why, she wouldn't even harm a fly.